Boom. All right. We are live with my friend, Josh. He is a strength coach that I've known for a few years, works with a lot of uh, basketball players, young kind of talented high school prospects, college guys, and works some, some NBA athletes as well. Um, very, very sharp, very, very smart dude when it comes to uh, coaching. Um, very kind of heavily involved in research, has a lot of interesting kind of background and influences uh, different to me. So I'm very excited to have him on here, uh, chat shop a little bit and see where we go. So Josh, welcome on to the show, dude. Thank you so much, Zach, for having me. It's like an honor my to be on here. It's pretty cool. No, 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 no. The honor is all mine, my friend. I appreciate it. Um, so why don't you maybe start giving us a little bit of kind of background, some of the major influences that you've had, um, how you've gotten to where you are, some of the guys that you've worked with, some of the stuff that you're doing, all that good stuff. So basically, I mean, just to cut it, like make it not too long, but keep it interesting. So my story is a little bit different. So I played basketball since I was about three years old, always been into the sport, always loved it. And also I've always loved working out. I think my brother had me in a gym when I was like 10 or 11 years old at the YMCA. And I remember him doing, we had, he was having me do like some pull-ups and he was teaching me correct form and all this stuff. Cause I'm young. He's just teaching me like bodyweight stuff. He was really into bodybuilding. You know, everybody's in that phase of like bodybuilding, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I remember my first workout, I was so sore. Like my arms, I couldn't even bend my arms to like grab a drop, like a water bottle. Like it was insane. So he was probably a big influence there and just gaining more notoriety playing basketball and then went to high school, did things there, but I didn't get a chance to take it farther than that. So what had happened is I started to weld. So I began welding, um, did that for about hmm, eight years. So I did Damn, that for about eight about years. Yeah, yeah. So I, I worked first, my first welding job, I was building a stainless steel kitchens for like high-end restaurants in California, Dubai, all over the world. Um, wasn't making great money at all, even though the company is big, big company. Uh, got tired of that, went to another company doing like power plant, genera uh, energy generation, basically it was like water steam. And that was very, very high paying, very high paying. It was good. Uh, worked a tremendous amount of hours, probably like seven days a week of like 12 to 14 hour days, second shift. Yeah, I did that for like three years, got tired of that, ended up leaving that, went to go build boats. That was like cool, decent job. I never liked welding in a sense. I never really loved it. I did it for more like financial side, bringing money for my wife, and my two kids. Had two kids also when I was young. So it was, it was a little bit different. Story went a little different. So to get to the just to where I am now, it gets close to here. So when the coronavirus hit, I lost my job at that welding spot um, when I was there. I was still in school, probably like two years prior, a year and a half prior, I was like starting school. So I was still in school and I lost my job really like they, they just uh, let everybody go. They closed down. And then I was like, okay, so what am I going to do now? So I was like, I've always loved again, strength and conditioning, working out. And I'm going to say one thing, I'm going to shout him out. If he ever watches this, uh, Joel, you know, Joel. So, oh yeah. Yeah. I saw him on his Instagram, like at, you know, spectrum and doing things like that. I, I'm like, man, what is that? Like, what is that place? We started talking. He got me really interested in like reading and learning. I was like, yeah, I should get certified, do this, blah, blah. So I did the internship there. And then after that, I went to a group training facility. It was just uh, like, you know, training grown adults. And then I was able to do my own thing on the side, working with athletes. So after I finished the internship, I was kind of in a sense, like, 
in all honesty, I did not think I was worthy. I still like, I'm not like, I'm not, I don't know at all or anything, but at that sense, I was like, I'm not ready to train athletes, but I had people asking me. So I was like, you know what, if people are asking me, let me just go do it. So let me just try my best, read all I can, implement all the things that I've read on myself. Let me go take it from there. And then they shut down due to COVID as well, because they were behind uh, for so long. They got evicted. I was about to work for this strength coach in Orlando, Florida. He offered me a position and it was a great position. I was going to work with a lot of high level guys soon with him. Uh, he works with a lot of NBA guys, great coach, uh, great mentor too. And then after that, I said no to the opportunity. So uh, then I was like, you know what? Let me just give myself a chance. Let me just see what I can do. Because I always say like, I'm, I don't, I'm not a quitter, very optimistic. So, and now I'm here now. So working with basketball players, mostly I'll, I'll probably all I do. And so that's my whole story, my whole background. It's a little bit different than what you usually hear, but that's where it's at now. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, I did not know um, kind of all of that kind of coming in, like having the background doing a lot of like all the welding stuff. That's very, very cool. And um, going from where you went, I didn't realize like kind of Spectrum was your first like dip in the toe into yeah. this whole yeah. world as well. And then where you went from there, um, what made you turn down the, the NBA guy, the basketball guy? Like, that seems like a big call to make that when was, you're still like, fresh. <laughs> I was, I'm, still, I'm still fresh, man. I'm still, I'm still like, I'm in my second year of owning my business. So um that you know I talked to my wife we talked for like days about it and she's like Josh this is a good situation anybody who knows me I'm this is a good and a bad thing I'm very risk-taking I'm very I'm, I, I will not like I strive to take a risk sometimes they're calculated sometimes they're not <laughs> you know my, my mom and dad are probably get mad at me for that but in this sense I was like you know what let me just try it out and he told me that, look, do you ever, if you decide not to do it, I'm just going to, I'm going to ask somebody else. And, but I'm always here for you. He was a really cool guy. And then um, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go where we're at self-made. And I was, I'm going to, I'm going to start it up. Started there with only one or two athletes. Those were baseball guys. And eventually I had a girl come. She's a, she was a basketball player currently going to college now. And then um, I started there. I didn't grow for months. I mean, like months. It was so slow. And luckily I had some savings saved up from when I was working and doing all these stuff. And I was able to just ride it out. Like I said, just getting out there, networking with people, getting people to know me, researching all the time, 24 hours a day. Like it was ridiculous. I was very hungry, still am. And I was able to grow. Uh, I was like, you know what? I had, um, then that's when I got this, I'm going to shout him out too, Coach Rome and Coach P from TPBA and also Coach Ryan from OTM. If anybody knows them, uh, they trusted me with their athletes, with their basketball guys. Uh, started out, that's how I got most of the high-level guys, high-level recruits, and then some overseas. NBA uh, guys only had two G League guys and then some more overseas guys. And then it just built from there. I would say in terms of you're trying to build, you have to build trust. You have to get referrals, connections. I mean, it's super, super important. Dude, yeah, that's awesome, man. It's definitely where it's at now. It seems like you're, uh, seems like you're killing it. Um, you've, you've definitely come up, kind of come a long way for having it been so recent and stuff like that. So that's, that's very, very cool. One thing I could definitely say for sure is that you're, 
you're very persistent. You're very well read. Like you definitely put in the hours and stuff like that. So I can see where it's all come from. Um, maybe before even getting into some of the training stuff, then like I've been very impressed and kind of very curious about the connections you've made, the, how you've marketed yourself, just going like door to door for practically like going to different yeah. people like, <laughs> and stuff like that. So I'm just curious, yeah. like, um, how you've made some of these connections and stuff like that, how you're putting yourself out there. Um, all that good stuff, maybe something that's a little bit more applicable to beyond just the for um, sure, for sure. Side of things. I mean, I look, I mean, to motivate other coaches, other people who have dreams, you know, just don't give up. Even though you hear no once, you're gonna hear no about 50,000 times. So you just have to be persistent. But what I started with is like I said in the beginning, when I got to the gym, I only had one or two athletes, wasn't bringing a lot of income in. So the times I wasn't really doing anything or researching or reading, I was started out going door to door to neighborhoods around, you know, trying to figure out. I started getting like uh, Gen Pop clients and that was good. I liked it, but then it just wasn't for me. It wasn't my forte. Just just didn't like it. I was like, you know what? I let them know, like, I'm going to change it up. That was another that's very risky. I literally gave them to another trainer because I just didn't want to do it anymore. And so I was like, I'm going to leave that there. And I went again from door to door. And then eventually I was like, look, what do I really want to do? I know a lot about basketball. I know so much about this game. And I was like, let me just, let me go on Google. Let me just search up some skills trainers, some businesses, did that, went in my car, drove around, met with uh, trainers, gave them my cards. A lot of people just like waved me off. It always happens like, yeah, who, who's this guy? Like, who's this kid? Whatever. So that means, and then after that, then I just kept doing the same thing over and over again, making calls calling them over and over again, showing up over and over again. And then finally I got my first, you know, kind of look on by TPBA, that's Top Prospects Basketball Academy. And then by Coach Ryan at OTM, gave me a shot, fed me some athletes, and then it just kind of grew from there. Uh, and then I got into a point in the summer where it blew up a lot. And then that's when uh, I started getting reached out by physical therapists, things like that. And then that's how I made a connection with uh, B Physical Therapy, which is, Awesome connection, awesome organization. They work with a lot of uh, NBA draft prospects. Um, a lot of knowledge over there. Uh, the owner is Steven. He is an amazing guy. Gave me a chance. He, he entrusted me. So I would just say, if you're looking to grow your business, it's just networking, constant, figure out what you want to do. Find your niche. It's the same thing of social media, you know, finding your niche, figure out what you want to do, and then just go from there. Just keep being persistent. That's what I, what I strive to do is just persistence and consistency. Well, I think it's definitely very brave and pretty impressive almost too, like going from having a pretty small client base, just getting your feet in the door, just getting like, just getting started almost and having some of these, like cutting off some of the gen pop people just because you know, that's not what you wanted to do. So like just having that little bit of kind of identity, knowing who you are knowing what you wanted to do and that sort of thing. I think that can be definitely something for young coaches and stuff like that people yeah. who are just getting started it's very easy to take in anyone anyone who comes in like oh yes thank you so much like you're willing to pay me money like that's amazing but yeah, have yeah. a little bit more of an identity of who you want to be and maybe that you want to do like work with the uh, gen pop and stuff like that that's cool yeah but knowing, for sure yeah knowing who you are what's for you and stuff like that i think that's very interesting and something that you probably wouldn't have gotten all of the kind of basketball connection yeah. the players that you have now if you kept going with them like it's something you kind of yeah. have to and, build and i'm going to tell you the truth um the reason is because i really wasn't enjoying it i wasn't happy <laughs> and and me welding for eight years i was never really happy like i was never really enjoying it i, I was literally coming home like 
kind of depressed and I'm always trying to be grateful and understand that, you know, I was making good money, this and that, but it's anybody who's been in like manual labor and just like the constant man hours you have to put in. It's, it's just, if you don't really enjoy that type of world, it's, it's not for you. Like you just don't, you don't like it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like you could be making so much money. You're just like, Oh my gosh. I mean, that's kind of sets me apart. You know, eventually I know this is all going to pay off and I just keep positive mindset. No, it's amazing, dude. You've, you've absolutely killed it. So I'm definitely very impressed with your basketball knowledge and stuff like that as well. I just listen to you like chat with um, parents or the athletes that you have coming in or the athletes themselves and stuff like that. Like you can tell you um, definitely know your way around the basketball. Um, so I'm kind of curious one, like, do you do, do you stick with just the strength work? Do you don't do any skills work with some of these guys? And then also um, what's maybe how do you apply training specifically to these basketball players? Like, is there stuff you do specifically for them that you might not do with other athletes? Like how does your kind of skill and knowledge around the game affect the strength work that you're doing to like physically build these guys? You know, I've like thought about dabbled in the idea of like starting to do skills training as well. Like when I have like slow times, like doing skills training, just start off on the basics, you know, footwork, you know, to getting into your shot, uh, you know, just basic handles, uh, things like that, but eventually maybe I'll do that. But for right now I'm sticking just in the strength and conditioning aspect. But what I do do is I see a lot of like strength and conditioning coaches that they trying to just, they veer away from the skill side. They just think like, Oh, it's, you know, it's all strength. It's all lifting. It's all the, but I like to understand what happened. Like me as, as a player that used to play, I understand what happens on the court, how much balance and proprioceptive abilities do you have? Uh, basically like the IQ of the game, being able to relocate when you don't have the ball, being able to stay on balance, being able to make this cut, get into this lane, get into this angle. So if I can make some type of skill relate into what strength conditioning I can do, then I will, I'm going to, I'm going to put those two together. So like, I also, when I have like young guys, this is where I'll put like, the skill of the game mixed with strength and conditioning, I, I like to call it uh, fluidity. So a lot of young athletes or young basketball players, they're not so fluid when they do certain moves. Their parents will talk about it all the time. They're very stiff at the upper body and very stiff at the hips and the knees when doing kind of crossovers, just side to side, like between the legs. So I like to teach that in certain like drills. Like I feel like infinity runs, you've seen my guys do that through like those little poles. It'll teach them how to be fluid in a certain range. We use Vipers. If you know, if you guys know what Vipers is out there, uh, we do that. And then um, if you could chime in again on that second part of the question, kind of forgot what the uh, next one was. Well, just if you are doing work specifically with them to enhance their ability okay. to play basketball, you might not do with other athletes. Um, I don't know if I, if I get like super specific. I might get more specific when they get a little bit older. Because, you know, you want to just teach them the basics of strength and conditioning, the basics of movement, you know, uh, multi-directional variability at a young age. And then when they get a little older, we might have a little bit more of a talk and figure out what is the goal now. Like I have I have one guy, actually two guys, to where they're like, okay, the goal for the offseason when I'm about to head to college is now I want to have more power, more be able to get be more reactive. When I come off a screen, I go drive to the lane. I want to be able to just pop off one one leg and do my layups or my dunk because it was an athlete that they always needed to set up into their jump they didn't have the ability to just have like a single single foot jump or single leg jump 
So I was like, okay, we're going to work on that. We'll figure that out. But in a sense of being like very specific, mm, I wouldn't say too specific. I would say like, I would do the same thing with most athletes. Yes, we teach them the basics, you know, GPP, things like that. Um, your balance, your reactiveness, uh, your strength. I mean, the only things that would change with a basketball player is, in my, in my opinion, like the core strength side, I like to do a lot of things. I, if you see my guys, I don't do like a lot of planks. They're not on the floor too much. I like using kind of like stuff that they're standing, whether it's a farmer's carry or, you know, different variations of carries or beyond the cable machine. I'm trying to figure out anything else I could be specific on. That, that'd be more like maybe specific joint angles when we're going to hit certain phases. But other than that, I feel like athletes in sense, they kind of train the same. It's just a sense of, what are the goals for that individual? That's what maybe will change the way the program would look. Yeah, agreed. I definitely think there's a craze um, on social media or wherever about everything being like sports specific, sports specific. Yeah, yeah. We're just literally trying to like mimic or like mock positions that you get into in a sport that you're going to do in the weight room. Like yeah. shoot, shooting a weight, like shooting a medicine ball instead of the basketball, like how that's somehow going to make you a better you know, uh, basketball player. Sorry to interrupt you. I was having a conversation with one of my friends yesterday and he, we were talking about a certain type of bounds and he, it was about a slump bounds. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It was new to me. So basically like a slump bound would be like the athlete would do say just like a linear bound. They would land on their one foot or their one leg and they would kind of like slouch as they land to have the effect of more force being stressed upon their body which I, we, okay. yeah, so we talked about it and he was like, you know, kind of on board. I was like, look, I totally disagree in a sense because I'm like, look, that's where I was like, this could be a little bit more specific. It's very rare that you see a hooper or a basketball player do this in game. And I'm like, the only time I see it in my eyes is when I have young guys who do any plyometrics for the first time and you'll, they'll lack body control. They'll be, they won't lack that natural rebound or just be able to like, you know, stop and just rebound. Their chest will collapse over their foot. They're very off balance. That's why I'm like, that to me shows they have no body control. I'm like, this is something that just needs to be worked on, you know, over time. And of course, they're going to adapt the more they see it. So I'm like, you know, that getting that specific, I'm like, no, I could be a little bit more specific when I'm like, if I'm not seeing it on the court, then I'm like, I'm not really going to stress it too much. But then in terms of variability and like multi-directional stuff, that's where I'm like, okay, I'm going to give you this is like your, you know, your dessert. This is what we're going to play around with your multi-directional stuff, your variability, especially in like the lower leg. That's something that is super big for me. So I want to get into that a little bit where you talked about earlier with the proprioceptive work. I know you do a lot of stuff with the water bag and things yeah, like that. Sure. Um, but even kind of separate from that, one thing that you touched on that I know you do a lot that I'm, I'm, I like a lot and I'm very interested in is the the stuff that you'll do with the Viper or the poles or stuff like that. You talked about the word like rhythm or fluidity and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I can see big. like you'll get, these, you'll get these guys moving with, yeah, with rhythm, with tempo almost. You're getting them to like time that they're, how they're drop their shoulders, they go in. So it's not just trying to fly through with as much speed as you can. You honestly get yeah. them to slow down a little bit, but can you kind of drop and be quick and kind of come in and out and have everything be more synced up, be more fluid like you're talking about. Um, so I'm kind of curious one, I think that's an awesome skill to kind of work on. Like you can definitely see that in athletes, like just at the highest level, guys that are, as you said, stiff, guys that can't move, that can be talented and technical, but maybe don't have that 
little bit of movement variability and stuff like that. So I'm wondering what are some of the ways besides you talked about with the Viper and with the, the poles and stuff like that, like, are there specific qualities that you're trying to get? Um, how do you see that kind of carry over to the court? Like maybe just expand on some of the stuff that you're doing with that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So we'll start with like maybe the water bag. Now, in the sense of the water bag, the lighter, when I have less water in there, that's more working on the balance, proprioceptive awareness, all this stuff. And so, but when we have more water, that's when it's going to be a little bit more power dominant. It's just the water is more of a greater variable, has more variability. But more with the, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then um, with the vipers, that's something like, you always hear me say rhythm, tempo, because a lot of guys, even pro, I've had pro guys that come in here and they're like, They've, they've been so used to just rushing everything. So the minute you show them in drill, they just want to rush. So mm-hmm. I have a sense of, I don't even count time. I don't count reps. We just start. And I'm like, look, start off slow, work on the rhythm, work on the coordination. Let's, let's get a one, two going. And so we'll start. So with the Viper, let's go. I like to try and mimic like a crossover. We'll use the Viper. We'll go say you're going to your left side. That means you're going to catch the Viper with your right hand. And then we're going to go be a little bit more fluid going to add a little crossover step into there once we get a little bit more rhythmic. And then now we start to add speed and we slowly progress to being very, very rhythmic and fluid while we're being uh, quicker. But it also, in a sense, I like using the Viper as well for deceleration capabilities because uh, the Viper is so, it's so good for multi-directional stuff, not just linear or lateral. It's different ways to teach deceleration, to teach different types of movement qualities. And then uh, build off of that so it transfers to the game because I worked with, with a lot of guards bigger guys too will do it but with guards they'll use the viper and the viper is good because you start off with a light one and that's like more okay you get used to it and then you add weight and then you add weight and then you stick you continue to add heavier and heavier vipers and so you get to the sense okay this is good enough and the heavier viper is still going to work on of course the rhythmic the coordination the variability and then also now deceleration strength can you get out of these positions? Can you do this? Can you do that? Same thing they're going to see on the court. So I just really love the Viper because it's, it's a skill-based movement that they're going to see on a daily basis that could help them translate it to the court. And that's just something for me that transfer is, in my, in my opinion, is king at the end of the day. Because I'm building you to eventually get you to transfer it in your sport. Yeah. So just to, so people have a quick idea of what you're talking about. So the Viper is essentially like, it looks like a foam roller almost it's about foam roller size and kind of shape yeah. maybe a little bit taller, but it's got some weight to it. And so you're doing different exercises with people where like, let's say on like that crossover, you're going to have them drop it to one side and you're having, again, where that rhythm piece comes in, you're trying to have them time it almost so they catch it like just before yes. it hits the floor yeah. and they pop back up yeah. or deceleration. They'll let it tip forward. They'll catch it just before it hits the floor and they'll pop back up. And like, you yeah. can and then another another sense too with the viper as well is that you can use it for range of motion so uh if a taller athlete, they have taller guys that come in you know six 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 seven and in this day and age of the basket of basketball is they're they're going to be a guard they're going to be like a, a guard or a forward that these forwards they could put they could put the ball on the floor they can get into a bag they can do a lot of things so it's good for them to be able to feel like what if what to get that low or to get into a position that's kind of uncomfortable for them that they might need to have access to. So that's another thing that we could, that's what the Viper does as well. So before you even get into the rhythm, sometimes we work on, you know, the range of motion, how much can you get down? Can you get this to touch the floor with the, with the, with looking comfortable? And then eventually once we get there, then we'll build into the rhythm and the coordination with the speed. So everything is always, you know, progressive overload in a sense. 
Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Like, can they access the position first? Can they do it under control? Like, do they have the strength and mobility? Then can they do that with speed and with timing? My question, I guess, with this whole, like, philosophy or style of training and stuff like that, some more of this, like, kind of movement style stuff is I don't doubt its, like, effectiveness or its... Uh, so we'll stick with effectiveness for lack of a vocabulary. Um, but I'm wondering how, like, what are some of the big, like, measurables you look like? How do you measure or assess somebody that uh, needs more of this stuff? How do you assess the progress that they're making? And then even, like, the transfer, you talked about the transfer, the carryover onto the court. Like, I imagine a lot of it just being, like, kind of subjective, like, eyeball tests. Like, okay, he looks like he can't move and now he looks like he actually can move and then same thing on the court like they feel kind of stiff and clunky and like oh hey now I feel like actually a little bit smoother when I hit a crossover and stuff like that is that the main way that you're kind of assessing measuring progress just because it seems like it could be a little open-ended almost like we're just you know what I mean yeah I could for sure get what you're saying but I would say it might be a little bit more open-ended with the younger guys because I'm just trying to build them and mold them into something that I know for sure they're going to need because you need to be fluid when you play ball. It can't be always super stiff. And you need to, have, you need to be able to hit certain areas of your game that it's going to adapt over time. But in terms of when they get older, when they get a little, little bit more elite, when we need to get into a little bit more detail, that's when the connections that you make, they matter. because now we'll videotape sometimes of what they're doing. They'll be able to see it. We'll go over it. You'll see the application and how they transition to get better and better. Then you talk to coaches, you talk to their skills trainers, you hear what they're, you hear what they're seeing. And then you get other inputs. If the, if the guy that I have or girl is going to my physical therapist, you'll hear their inputs. You'll figure out what we need to work on and if it's really transferring or not transferring. So it's big when say you do those drills, and then now you do it and you go to your skills trainer and it's been like, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months of you doing this over time. And the skills guys contacting me saying, hey, man, they're moving totally different. They're looking so much more fluid or they're getting into these angles that we were trying to work on. Uh, that's like kind of a validation. And it helps me to say, all right, the, all right what's working? And for me, I kind of have a model that I go by. And if it's if it's working, I'm going to continue to use it. If it's not working, I'm going to take it away. Like I have no. I'm not really in love with certain things. If I like it and it works for my client or my athlete, then I'm going to keep using it. And that's the way we would measure it. So video, uh, getting input from other skills trainers and coaches as they notice a difference and going from there. 100%. I do like the collab and communication with skills coaches, sports coaches, like whoever that is. I definitely think that's something that we could do uh, more of, use more of, like within, for us in general, I think we could benefit yeah. the athlete more just having the more we can all be in communication um and assessing through video and stuff like that just because it is i can imagine it's a challenge like it's something that's a little bit more um subjective and objective so it's just can be harder for you to kind of measure like are these guys actually improving and stuff like i that. would say that video in my opinion is king because i have athletes mm -hmm. where you know i'll give a simple cue it could be very very simple and i'm like you know what that's not working let's go ahead and do the movement We'll videotape it and then you'll hear my cues and you'll be able to see what you're doing wrong because once they see it just changes everything like you you know every trainer probably does it where they video it. it's just totally different and also yeah. depends on the the learner the type of learner the athlete is are they visual are they vocal or you know are they both so 
hundred percent. I've definitely noticed that. I think even more with skills, like even with, um, with lifting and stuff like that can help, but with more of like these different movement skills, like the stuff that you're doing, yeah, for sure. me getting back into like boxing and kickboxing and stuff like that, it can make, it's horrible. You're like, you feel like you're hitting, you're hitting the mitts and stuff like that. And you're doing something, you're reeling really clean. Then you go back and look at the video and you're like, Oh my goodness. My hand. <laughs> That's garbage, yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, one, so then another thing that you've talked about probably even further down the rabbit hole, I guess, more of like a kind of undercut, more of a baseline to some of the work you're doing with the Viper, some of the more movement rhythm stuff is some of more of the proprioceptive work with the balance work with the water bag, all this different stuff. So, you know, we've got guys on one leg, holding the knee up bags overhead, doing different movements and things like that. Like personally, I've always been a little bit hung up on that. Like, I'm not sure how much, um, how much you're going to get carryover or stuff like that, or if it's the biggest kind of bang for buck in terms of what we can do with the limited amount of time that we have in the gym. So I'm kind of just curious what your experience has been like with it, when you use it, um, what you feel it's important for, how you feel it carries over to the court and all that good stuff. Uh, I would say for sure carries to the court, number one off of uh, injury. So injury mitigation. So if someone's having, you know, ankle issues, their proprioceptive awareness or their vestibular system, we can get a little bit more in depth is kind of, downgraded so that right there even before they even touch an aqua bag you know i'll assess them in the beginning we'll go this single leg stance because the balance in basketball is just so important because it's an everyday thing so if i go off the dribble i'm in triple threat i go off the dribble i pass you on my right side you you catch up to me now if i go reverse pivot i'm going to be on one leg anybody who knows basketball they know what i'm talking about i'm going to be in reverse pivot I'm going to spin reverse, be on one leg and try and get into a balanced jump shot or just a regular jump shot. So if I don't have the balance or the capability to do that, it's going to be much harder. So I've, in terms of transfer, I've had pro guys that come in and the detail where we go in is their balance is just not there to where they're off balance and it's, um, it's making their shot be less effective. And so we'll do that. And then it just changes dramatically because now they're on balance they have more confidence they're able to hold that position and then in terms of building up you know proprioceptive awareness and the drills that we use or the things that we use is we'll start with body weight one leg all right great you do that great all right now move the head side to side okay cool you do that great all right close your eyes we do that great okay cool now you get to the time where it's like all right we'll add some variables now let's throw a med ball back and forth let's throw it in different angles and different vectors let's go now let's introduce the aqua bag we hold it at our, at our shin and we just hold it there. Then we'll put it up by our chest. Then after that, we'll do some cleans with it. Then after that, we'll do a clean with a lift. Then the lift into a drop-in. So now it's like working not just the balance of my lower leg. Now we're working on the whole body. So now when I do the drop-in with it and I still hold it here up on my chest, now I'm working, can I maintain this chest upright or in an angle or my hip? Can I, my hip now decelerate or hold eccentric strength? So there's different variabilities where I, in my opinion, I have seen transfer because in terms of injury and people having constant ankle sprains, I've had those already. I had my, the best one I could say was a girl I was training. She tore all three of her ligaments in her ankle and she was constantly just getting injured every year, every year, every year. She came and saw me. We worked on her balance, proprioceptive awareness, all these drills that we talked about, we got to that. And she eventually, you know, stopped wearing ankle braces. She was able to now play more confident in a sense. So the transfer is there, in my opinion, it does matter. So it really does 
again, the progressions, this, they all correlate to certain things. No, that's awesome. I love it. With your basketball guys, so with basketball guys in general, we can maybe talk about um, the sport, like basketball players as a whole, or maybe even as you get into some of these higher levels, some of the college guys, some of the NBA guys. Um, I imagine with basketball players in particular, just because of these guys, as a general rule, all just being freaks, like just in terms of their size and stuff <laughs> like that, if nothing else, like these average yeah. guys, about six, seven guards nowadays, like that's outrageous. Yeah. Are there some things like, some high level guys that you have coming in, some of your college guys, some of your NBA guys that you're maybe surprised in some of the things that they're lacking, some of the things that like they can't do, some maybe basic stuff, or just are there things that you see that in basketball athletes as a whole, just there are things that they're kind of missing that you think could be beneficial for them in terms of injury prevention, performance, wherever you kind of want to go. I would, uh, let's go injury first, because yesterday, uh, I'm going to say hamstrings, man. Hamstrings mm -hmm. for hoopers, mm -hmm. it's just... It's a constant. Could be a program right there. It's got a ring to it. Hamstrings <laughs> Hoovers. Let's go. It's a, it's a constant issue, man. Like I had, it was a younger kid, but he's a little bit more high level. And we were, we were doing some drills and I always take it in this way. So it was a, like a sprint day, seeing what you could do. And before we get even get to like, you know, how much force you can produce in your acceleration, all this stuff, whatever, we work on deceleration. So we do certain drills to work on your deceleration because deceleration, honestly, is very important. It's kind of overlooked a lot. So we do that, and then we go into sprinting. And just from the deceleration drill that we were doing, he was cold. People, some people have seen on my Instagram or anywhere else that you hold the cable machine, you kind of fall to the balls of your feet, you reach out, the cable machine is going to pull you in. It's going to put a lot of stress on your knee. See if you can handle that. A lot of stress in your hip as well to see if you can put the brakes on there, your whole body. And then we go from there into now we'll do some sprint work, making sure how see we can be reactive, how much force we can produce, how fast can we do it. And um, he was already like having some issues with his hamstrings just from that. So I was like, that's, you know, as a coach guy, be like, okay, I'm not trying to injure this guy. Let's just go downgrade. Let's just go lift. We'll, you know, we'll sprint some other day or do something else. We're not trying to, that's, you know, safety's first. Yeah, not and trying then, um, Yeah, for sure. But that for sure is number one. So any hooper that watches this, work on your posterior chain meaning your hamstrings your low back um that's another thing man that low back pump that's that's massive that's ma i have so many guys that like have those issues and i'm constantly telling them you know at the end of the day they're only going to see me so much they have to do some things on their own so it's just trying to build that responsibility of hey man this is so you got to do this so uh hamstring anything posterior chain you need to be doing because everything is so knee dominant in terms of quads and all that and then um, performance. Well, let me jump in right there. Like we'll, we'll touch on that. We'll make you go all the way, uh, all the way through all that. Okay, cool. Dolo, dolo. But I think that's super interesting right there because just most people, again, coming back to like the sports specific thing, like what do you get? Well, you're a basketball player, knees, quads, jumping, everything's going to be like right in that kind of anterior chain, that quarter range of motion. We're just going to do plyos, pogos, quarter squats, like everything just to strengthen that little range right there. Um, versus I do find a lot of times with athletes, with people in general, like a lot of the times what you need to improve your sport, especially to reduce injuries, but even improve your performance in sport is the opposite of whatever your sport is giving you because like people don't take into consideration. So we're doing all of these jumps, all of these different positions um, in training to try and mimic, to try and enhance their ability to jump in sport, but they're also going to go and jump a hundred times in training. Like we're kind of ignoring the fact that they're getting that stimulus already. 
Um, so what we, one of the most beneficial things we can do is balance that out by, okay, what are they not? They're getting this super intense stimulus from training their sport three, four five times a week. That's going to be very taxing on the body. It's going to create adaptations, can create neurological gains, all this and that. What are the things that we can do? What are they not getting so that we can balance them out to make them perform better and to keep them from getting injured? And so I think hamstrings, low back is a great place to look at low back in particular, again, just because of how these guys are freaking long. That yeah, the, low, sure. the low back of, I think for athletes in general, is something that's super, super under uh, developed and underrated for the ability to be explosive and to produce speed. Um, I've had guys that just doing just basic work on the back extension and stuff like that will just absolutely blow people up just because they're so underdeveloped there, especially compared to other spots. So I think both of those are, are spot on. You know, I don't even, I don't know if you ever noticed in basketball players in general, how overdeveloped sometimes their low back and their erectors are. Me and my buddy were, were talking mm-hmm. about this is, this is rare, but it's eh, not too rare because when you get that low back pump, it usually happens when you're playing defense, you're in this position for a while. So the low back is kind of like overdeveloped. So now we, we need to hit other ranges they're not seeing, uh, make it more resilient. And then also their erectors, they're all like, they're massive, bro. Like, especially in these bigger guys, it's just ridiculous. So it's not always that they're underdeveloped. So be like, like you said, other ranges doing other things and that's for me like I'm the type of person that I'm not just going to do one thing I'm going to try and do everything like there's a time for these different ranges there's a time for doing this time for doing that and then also you spoke about like what are they not doing like especially in season in season for my guys the workouts are not too long they're like 30 40 minutes maybe shorter than that they're not getting a lot of max sprinting in season they're not going to be getting a lot of max jumps. Now, if we do max jumps, they're going to do it maybe on a box or on the mat on the on the mat over there because they're just getting so much of those like extensive type of plyos in a sense on the court. So again, that variability of what are they not doing? What do we need now? And then if you get a little bit more detailed, is all right now when I watch your film, how is their game? What does their game look like now? What is it lacking in terms of plyos, movement, lifting, mm-hmm. all these things? So and also I'm a big fan of machines. In the off in the in season, because machines, I'm thinking about the CNS. I'm trying to just make it everything chill. If we're gonna go a little bit heavier that day, I'm looking at machines. We're doing machines, and you're getting out of here. Now, in terms of off season, now we have more play, so we can go from there. Yeah, I, I totally that, agree. I totally agree. What you were saying, totally agree. For sure, I think that's an even an interesting, like uh, a good insight as well. Like in season, we're trying to spare the nervous system as much as we can. So machines can help us just yep. get a pump, get the body working, get some blood flow into the tendons, yep. into the joints, but save sure. that, that nervous system, that mental energy for training for the games themselves. Do you want to touch on the performance side of things as well? And no, we kind of did with that um, already. Um, hmm. I do want to input one thing about uh, not performance, but with strength and conditioning in terms of younger kids like maybe like 10 9 10 11 and I have parents that reach out to me sometimes and when the kids are these like this young I just remember when I was a kid and we talk about it sometimes like these kids aren't playing outside they haven't they're not getting like more variables of other you know sports or other movements so I'm like whenever they come to me I'm like man it's like they're a kid need to be outside doing different things playing different sports getting active you know is everything now so highly specific in terms of like really any sport because now you have younger and younger and younger kids just trying to be elite so now they're like starting even younger instead of now they're just so specified to either just soccer or just basketball yeah. just yeah. football just baseball so 
and they're that's playing year-round there's no offseason you know like what's you, exactly you know what's really crazy is i tell parents you guys play more games than a professional <laughs> i'm like yeah there's yeah. you have no break and i'm like it's just it's all it's a different world and then the icing now. on the cake is that they then want to go and do the sports specific training with the speed yeah. ladder parachutes yeah. and stuff just going to kind of keep wearing and tearing on their on their body just like that i kind of think with that too like some of that um saq like the speed agility kind of yeah. stuff especially for younger kids like i try and use the metaphor of like squeezing toothpaste out of a tube like that like all that saq stuff the ladder drills the plyometrics like all that sort of thing it's not that it's necessarily bad but a they're yeah. already doing a ton of it from their sport but it's also you're like you're just grabbing the middle of the tube and squeezing as hard as you can instead of like if we're trying to get our goal is long term we want to get as much toothpaste out of the tube as we can yeah you in the back you do the basics you kind of roll it all the way out yeah. so that you can get all of it out there and not just have some big explosion where then kids yeah. get hurt four or five layers later and you don't know why you know what the main what i love about younger kids you know 9 10 11 maybe even younger is that their brain is so creative sometimes i would have the ability to have a younger kid train with an older high school kid or a college guy and i would just put like a, a drill like you know what it's going to be just let's play a game all right, copycat. You copy what he's going to do. You copy what he's going to do. And you would just see like the younger kid just produce things. You're like, whoa, that the other guy couldn't even like contemplate. So I'm That's like, the creativity part, man, of, of ath athletics and performance is it's very downgraded. It's creativeness is or, you know, that, you know, creating imagination, all these things, whatever. It's it's big. You know, playing games, getting out of your comfort zone, doing those things. And that's what kids that's what they need. It's, it makes everything better. 100%. That's why I'm, um, wouldn't, won't be surprised to see you get into more like actual basketball stuff. Cause I can know you have that, uh, that kind of mindset and stuff like that going in, like your brain's always working in that direction. I think you do do a great job of implementing that and applying that with the different drills and like kind of movement work that you do, but I can see you even kind of taking that to another level, getting into actual I mean, uh, basketball we'll stuff. See. We'll, we'll see. see in we'll the see. future what it has. So you're also, especially compared to myself, um, very, very on top of and well read into the research and stuff like that. Um, something that you're always kind of keeping tabs on, uh, something that I could probably do a little bit more of. Um, but it's so always impressed with how much you're reading, bringing in new things, things like that. So I'm just kind of curious in the last six months, year, two years, like if there's any big stuff in particular that's jumped out that you've started to implement in your training or just thought was interesting or anything like that. Um, I think I'm just an avid person of I get bored <laughs> and I try and just read whatever and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll stop you right there. There are far worse vices most people have when they get bored <laughs> reading peer-reviewed literature for fun. So I think you're doing okay. You're not gonna get yourself in any trouble doing that. I mean, I'm not even here to say like I know it all because no one knows everything. I'm like constantly trying to learn, but what I will say is that. Um, the principles are first in terms of like science, you know, momentum, power, all, all these things, whatever. We all know what it is as coaches. You could do, do it in school. Now, in terms of like the icing on the cake, you know, oscillations and, uh, you know, different types of joint angles and all these things. And I try and just read as much as I can. And then just uh, I'm very also very organized. Like if someone were to go on my computer, I have just a file that says education and it just has research papers, research, research, research about literally everything. So probably I would say, well, I'll, but I'll say two things that are really interesting. 
Um, as a, any coach who watches this, uh, Stephen Jones, he's one of the best strength coaches in the entire world. This guy is insanely smart. Um, he's helped me a lot. I DM him sometimes. He sent me papers. Uh, I'm probably very annoying. If he ever sees this, I'm probably very annoying to him. <laughs> And we were You're talking. Yeah, you put a face of the name now. You're the guy that keeps passing him on IG. Yeah. So I would contact him. Same thing with uh, you know, PJF. Anybody who knows him, you know, Paul Favorites over there in Cali doing his thing. That's another guy that's helped me tremendously in terms of research and influence. Uh, but one thing I would say is I had a lot of hoopers uh getting cramps. And I was like, man, it's never really used to happen to me ever when I would play. But I understand when you get to the fourth quarter, you get really fatigued, very tired you know, your muscles do certain things, all your whole body. So I was thinking like, they're like, oh, I was drinking so much water. I was uh, BCA, doing whatever, you know, their coach is telling everybody something to do, which is just their miss. I have literally read, I would probably think, I'm not even lying to you, hundreds of papers on cramps, like literally just cramps. I'm like, it's everyone is saying the same thing. Like really water content is not as big an issue as people would say. It's more on the rate of contraction that your muscles are having. And I was talking to Stephen Jones and I saw, you know, I was learning about oscillations. It was a while ago and he has a whole paper on it. And I was like, you know, what's interesting. I was telling him, do you think this would work? Uh, basically fatiguing the athlete with the specified movement and then taking them into oscillation training right after their fatigue and trying to mimic that and working on how many, uh, how many contractions, you know, the brain can send to the muscle. Because in the research, it's saying that the reason they're cramping is because the neurological input that's going basically to the calf, because most strains are going to happen at the calf. It says about 88%. So I was like, that'd be a good idea. And he was like, yeah, I could see that working. So I'm going to try that on myself. I haven't done it yet. So <laughs> I'm like, so you're that- saying, so with cramps, you're basically saying like you would like do a bunch of calf raises fatigue it and then go into these like oscillations and just try and improve the work capacity or kind of fatigue resistance to those oscillations yeah you could say that be able to for that gastroc or in a sense to be able to contract at a higher rate so what's happening and it's also what's happening because most of the time if you talk to the hooper i ask him at what point did you feel the cramp and they're going to be like oh mid-air or when i land so that's telling me it could be a co-contraction so a co-contraction in midair, it's pulsating, it's pulsating, oh, it's over-pulsated or over-contracted, now boom, it strains, and then you're like, damn. So just trying to figure out how I can make them more resilient, but it's just still a theory. It's still a theory, it's still me playing around, figuring That's it out. What are you saying with cramps, like there's no physiological basis, like salt, water, nothing? Like No, no. None? I mean, I'm not gonna be like, okay, let's go. What I have read, no. What I have read, I haven't found a paper that's like, oh, water content, swell, all these things. This is the main thing. Because we hear it when we're a kid, drink more water, drink more water, drink more water. I mean, you'll hear coaches in the bench telling these guys like, drink more water, drink more water. But they're, they're like so hydrated, basically kind of overhydrated. I have heard that if you drink too much water, then you're diluting the, like the pH and the salt content. I mean, yeah, like we could even go into breathing on that. Just even drinking too much water even affects your breathing. But, mm. in, but in the sense of the cramps, they're so hydrated. If it was hydration, they wouldn't get a cramp. Like but literally. So is that where then, like, cause I've heard people talk about um, like salt and stuff like that being yeah. like a big role. So is that we're not necessarily drinking more water, but not to say like electrolytes. That- 
Yeah, that I could say <laughs> maybe has a little bit more input, but it still wouldn't have the same input as the muscular contractions at all. That's very interesting. Wow. Now, so someone, if, so, if someone's going to get now, well, if someone's <laughs> going like, to come yeah, after yeah. me and be like, "No, you're wrong," I mean, just show me, show me the research, and I'll say, "Okay, I'm wrong." I have no problem saying I'm wrong. But this is what I just read. This is what I have read. I haven't found a paper that tells me water content, it's salt, it's this and that. So I'm like, okay. But it's still, that research is still so, it's not a lot of it. So it's like, you can only papers take, isn't a lot? I mean, no, not, not really. This is why, this is why <laughs> I get hung up on research. I, I would rather And that, that's what, yeah, that's what me and you talk about. I talk, I talk about it with other people as well, is that the research will always say like, um, but there's more research need to be done, which there always yeah, will be. So yeah, yeah. it's like, you know, you take what you can and then you go from there. I would say another interesting thing is uh, breathing. Oxygen advantage is probably- Yeah, I know you mentioned it to that recently. Yeah, it is so, so good. You know, I, I'm not done reading it yet. Just trying to figure out how I can implement it with my athletes after I tried out myself and all these drills, because that book is just, it's gold. Like I, it really is. And I'm just like, wow. Because I have so many athletes that are just mouth breathers. And so I yeah. just start with the basics, yeah. you know, and nasal breathing and the warm-ups and go from there. And that's something that book is anybody who wants a recommendation of a book, Oxygen Advantage is for sure a good recommendation. That's perfect. That's actually where I was going to go next. Uh, based on, I was actually excited for that question based on how much you're uh, reading and stuff like that. I was going to yeah. ask if you a big book recommendations that you read in the last year or two, either strength training wise or otherwise. So Oxygen Advantage is one, um, two, well, What's some of your big takeaways from the oxygen advantage? It's been a little while since I read it. I know nasal, like um, nose breathing is. You know what's crazy? Actually, I just read it a couple of days ago. He was talking about baking soda and how baking soda. I don't know if you heard that. It like I think you keep going. Yeah, you intake it basically with like apple cider vinegar mixed with the baking soda, like half a teaspoon, or you could use. I forgot what other uh, mixture he was saying. This is not medical advice at all. So <laughs> <laughs> he was just talking about how it could. Um, help you produce more oxygen, work on the carbon dioxide. Um, there's a, a lot of effects that it was going to do for your breathing and be able to have more, oh, be able to have less lactic acid buildup. So you would be able to be able to have less fatigue and be able to hold out longer just by drinking. He was saying you would drink in an hour before training or like a bowel of anything. I'm training, let's go training. Uh, apple cider vinegar with baking soda. You drink an hour before you go do you know, a breath hold that he does in his uh, book, and you would have a 8.9% uh, chance of what the research is showing it to have an even greater time. So it's like, I was like, whoa, this is interesting. That is you know, interesting. We're going to have to make our own pre-workout, baking soda and apple cider vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that for sure. I mean, the book is crazy. I'm not even done yet. Yeah. And it's a great, great book. For, for sure. sure. Have you tried, uh, tried taping your mouth and sleep when you sleep yet? No, I haven't tried it yet, but I will. Cause I'm honestly okay, like, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big mouth breather at all. I really do breathe a lot through my nose. So, but again, I, I would want to see it. I want to try it. Cause I'm like, this guy is and Matt, right now, as a matter of fact, uh, anybody who knows PJF, PJF having a podcast right now with, uh, that guy who wrote that book. Oh, Patrick McEwen. Yeah. Patrick McEwen. Yep. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. All right. Very yeah. cool. So that okay. So then, so then, uh, last thing, last kind of question that I've got for you a little bit more open-ended, just what's one, training principle or personal philosophy or belief or something that you've learned over the years that you wish more people knew and understood? Uh, I would say, 
before I get into that, I have one more thing about uh, performance. This is where performance. Um, people who do vertical jump, we were talking about it. I like to do multiple, multiple variations of vertical jump. And so max jump on the on the jump mat, uh, whether yeah, bilaterally, max jump, standing vertical uh, approach. So I'm, I'm going to start. I'm going to have to buy a Vertec. I need it. So I'm going to buy a Vertec. And then also uh, the reactive. Is this for testing or is this for training? Uh, that would probably be for testing. Okay, but, just to get the, those yeah. different numbers. Yeah, to get you have to get the different variables of how you know the standing vertical jump, mostly bilateral, single leg. That'd be great with the vertex, or again, you could go just normal approach. And then uh, the reaction behind that, and a neurological you know structuring of how quickly can you put this together in a, in a you know short time frame? Because if you watch great hoopers, man, they could break a double double a double, slip it, and they just have this little time frame or this little space single leg boom they're in the air i mean they're just crazy athletes so it's like that's again is how fast is their mind processing the situation being able to already get to that point before the defender is that's a, so that's a whole nother thing that i think is a lot of people don't focus on that the neurological side and how important it really is like i said i read a whole paper uh from shout out to switched on their neuroscience it was just a bunch of just studies upon studies of just research on uh, the variability of the neuro, like the neurological input and the structuring and all that stuff. And it was honestly one of the best papers I have ever read in terms of putting together a bunch of studies. Yeah, the neurological side of things is something that's very, very interesting, something that I keep coming back to. I mean, for me, I've dug into a lot of the like Jay Schroeder and DB Hammer yeah. and stuff like that. And obviously, like these guys were onto something and do stuff very well. It's just I keep, A, I probably don't understand it well enough but like how you what the balance is between the neurological and the structural how you integrate it how you measure it like all that stuff like that's just a, a whole nother pandora's box that's yeah uh, for I'm sure that's something for me i'm still dabbling life. in still dabbling yeah. in it so but uh on the last question you had for me you were saying what is something for me that's like a principle of mine something i stick to that i wish other people would yeah, absolutely. Training principle, personal principle, personal philosophy, anything along those lines. I mean, we'll start off with personal for sure. Persistence and consistency and the goals that you have. Um, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it because it could for sure be done every single time. Um, and then in terms of training, I'm going to say learning when to back off and when to, you know, put the put the gas on a lot That's of. It. I've seen a lot of people that just, they just push, 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 push. And I'm very, I like for my athletes, people might say maybe I'm softer. Or, I mean, I'm not always so soft to my athletes. Some people might say I'm too hard a little bit, but I like to communicate with them, understand what's going on, understand, you know, if they're having any pain, understand if they don't like this drill or they, they think we do something better or especially when they get a little older and they start understanding their body and, you know, the pro guys, the collegiate guys, they're going to have more understanding of what they need. So listening and, and just because they set a goal when you first met them, talk about it, you know, throughout the duration. Like, hey, is this still the goal? Is this still what you want? Um, communication for me is key. Like, again, the communication with the athlete, learning when to put the brakes on, when to, when to put the gas on, you know, that's something for me that has worked tremendously. And I could just say, as an example, I was using, I still do it, the jump mat. You know, we go through our warm up, and you kind of do like a readiness test, and you just take mm -hmm. four jumps maximally and we will take your average uh divide that by 10 or times about 10 percent get your average see what if you're above it or under it and 
you know, you know when guys are faking because you've just seen them so much. That's another thing. And then uh, you just go from there. So that was another little input there. So again, it's just figuring out when you could do what you want to do and go hard as possible. And then figuring out when it's just time to relax and maybe, you know, going along the range of a low high day, low high, things like that. So that's sure. one of my main things. Definitely when you get into like the art of coaching a little bit, like not every session, most sessions even are not going to be puking on the trash can, just like stuff like yeah. that. Like yep. It's a kind of misconception that the best workouts are the hardest ones that leave you crumpled up on the floor, especially when we're dealing with athletes when they actually yep. have to go and compete. Like a lot of times that the stuff that we're looking for is not going to be stuff that's going to absolutely ruin them. Like that's really our goal. So I think that's a good insight. You know, I could put input on that is, um, I have athletes that, you know, the more elite guys or girls that they don't, they don't know when to rest. They don't know when to recover. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't care for it. So it's like, kind of got to put the harness on them and be like, okay, just relax here. This is meant to rest. Not everything is conditioning. We need high quality reps. That's another thing, especially with sprint training and things like that. Like they're so used to just conditioning, running back and forth. I'm like, dude, we need high quality reps, high rest. You know, let's, there's a time and place for everything. That's another thing of mine, time and place for everything. So I'm like, let's go and do that. But that came with just me learning and maturing in this because, and then also um, my social media might look a little different. Like I don't follow too many coaches or I'm not like in the debates and all that stuff because I just think like, let me just, you know, stick what I'm doing, uh, learn from other people. And then uh, I'm not here to argue anybody. I'm not here to just, I have my opinions. Everybody's going to have theirs. And at the end of the day, that's what it is. And learning and also how to learn how to speak a little bit more simple you know simplicity understanding how to talk to the athlete and get them to understand like out of my scientific terms and simplify it understanding how this is going to transfer understand like you know that's why i want my in my instagram to be you know tiktok social media is very i want it to be simplified to where you can apply it immediately and and you know you're going to know why from the simple explanation that's a big thing 100%. 100%. It's less about us sounding smart than it is about actually conveying Yeah, but that was a problem. That was a problem of mine. If I'm being honest, that's that I feel like it's a problem with maybe most new coaches. You want to show how smart you are. You want to show, like, you know, you're doing research or you're doing this, you're doing that. But, you know, it's a, I have a totally different mindset now. I'm not trying to show you I'm the smartest. I'm trying to show you that I can I can help you and that, you know, I'm again, humble. I'll be more humble. Be more understanding. Be, you know, just being better in that sense. Yeah, people, athletes will respond more to people that actually show that they care about them and stuff like that. Um, yeah, for sure. Trying to flex on how smart they are. Yep. All right, well, awesome, man. I want to be mindful of your time. I know you got to run, but thank you very much. This was a great conversation. Definitely stuff that I've learned from every time that I chat with you. Um, we've got very kind of different perspectives and stuff like that. So I love it when we can bring stuff together and talk awesome. about what's useful, talk about how we do things differently. Um, like you said, there's more than one way to skin a cat there's lots of different people getting great results getting doing different things so it's always fun to come together and see what we can learn from each other so appreciate your time my man have a good one man thank you so much absolutely brother my pleasure